0: If you have a Bible with you, please take that and open up to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. That's where we'll be this morning. If you're new to the Bible and you take a Bible and you crack it right in half, you'll be in the book of Psalms, a book of poems for prayer to God. And if you can count to 23, then you can get yourself there. If this psalm is familiar to you, that tells me uh, nothing about you whatsoever. This is one of the most familiar passages in all the Bible. I ran a test on a a seat made on a plane recently. I said, "Uh, sir, have you ever heard of Psalm 23? To which he replied, no, I haven't. I said, have you ever heard of the psalm that begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? To which he replied, oh yes, an oldie but a goodie. Um, So it, uh, it 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 is popular even among those who may not know where it's found. Before we read the text, let me situate us in the context of the year And then add some personal comments. After some four years without any movement on our pastoral staff at Desert Springs Church, in the last 12 months, I count four major pastoral transitions. This time last year, we were laboring to identify a core team that would go out with what would be our second church plant, Christ Church. And in August of 16, 76 of our brothers and sisters, Along with two pastors, Clint and Nathan, went out to plant. And that church will be meeting this afternoon. That was good, and we also grieved. I miss those people week in, week out, still. Months later, our beloved children's minister of 20 years, Terry Ash, uh, died, passed into the presence of the Lord. So much to celebrate in that man's life, a life well lived. Well done, Terry was one of the lines I caught on Facebook. Uh, But that was very difficult. Many of us were very close with Terry, loved him dearly. It's as if we were looking at three organ transplants as a church, and they've all been successful. We prayed for the Lord to guide searches for pastoral roles. roles. The arrival of Tom and Josiah and Scott have been wonderful in answer to prayer. And there are some really good laymen en route to eldership. DSC is in great, great shape. I've been talking to many of you, we are nevertheless still in recovery. Three transplants is a lot in a year. And then get this, back in September, just as I was sitting in my bed, uh, getting ready to send an email to Josiah, Different elders led different searches and I was over the mission search and had my little offer all ready to go and attached and writing a little email and making sure I didn't misspell a word because I'm a little sloppy sometimes, but this is an important email. Uh, I'm about ready to hit send and a little email drops in from South Carolina Heritage Bible Church asking if we could do a phone call soon. A friend had put us in touch and I thought, in the providence of God, he has waited until these three searches were all wrapped up to start this new potential transition. I didn't know where it would go at the time. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was for the role of pastor for preaching and teaching at the church there, uh, the kind of role that's been my trajectory since before I knew you all. Christy and I have prayed that if the Lord would redeploy us, that he would take make the path and the place plain, and that he would unite our hearts to those people, and he would unite their hearts to us, and he's answered that prayer, and so I bring you greetings from Greenville, South Carolina, Greer, South Carolina to be specific. Uh, They like you, are intrigued by you, ask about you. They've been through their own transitions, and they're aware of this church's transitions even some of their staff made their way to Indianapolis a few weeks ago to visit with some of our staff because they wanted to meet some people from our church class act Great of them to do that so I want to say brothers and sisters um, this for me I don't describe it as moving on uh, like you move on from family Uh, if you're in the business world and there's a thing called moving up Uh, We don't think that way in pastoral transitions. You take on more responsibility in different roles, but it isn't like a a career move. Um, More like moving out as Christ sends my family on, as Christ was sent, Uh, the Great Commission itself underneath this move for us. A new place, new responsibilities, but his same beautiful church and his same great mission. And if we didn't get to chat as I'd hoped or do a meal as maybe we've talked, I'm so sorry, you have to come to Greenville now. So we've got a room in our home and you are always welcome there. However well we knew you, you are always welcome. Uh, For my first sermon at Heritage Bible Church, I chose a text that I desired to also be if I had the chance to preach here once more, my last text for preaching to you, Psalm 23. Psalm 23. For a year of difficult transitions, which both churches have known. This church in Greenville uh, has had two preaching pastors in 40 years. That's impressive. And Just got done with a 25-year run. We might never say it in transition years like this, but perhaps we subtly think that the Lord is checked out in the harder moments or that he doesn't care for us as much as we've thought. Or maybe we just, this would be my temptation, we just kind of forget that he's actually squarely in the middle of these big, Details and moves leading us. I mean, consider this. Just 18 months ago, as Nathan and the elders were talking about a church plant, we thought it would just be Nathan. And then Clint joined. What a wonderful partnership that is. And the rest of it, the Lord brought to us. So he is in all of this and leading us. So with much attention on human means and human beings in a year like this, All these shepherding transitions. Let's put our attention now on the divine shepherd who cares for us in and through it all. The 23rd Psalm. Let's read together. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Two incredible claims. Let's reflect on both before we get into the broader body of the text. First claim, the Lord is my shepherd. As far as I can remember, I don't believe I have ever seen a real shepherd of sheep. I have seen a sheep. I have a memory in college of being on a trip to Scotland, and I was in the Highlands, and I saw a sheep when we were uh, you know, messing around outside the van and a little rest, and uh, I asked a buddy if he could take a picture of me with the sheep. That was the occasion that we were talking about. These things were in textbooks and cartoons, but they weren't in real life, and here was a real sheep. And I will tell you, it was college. I did put on my buddy's big white sweatshirt and go out there and like, stand next to the sheep for the shot. It's somewhere in a box. If you're like me, we should be wary of settling for what's in our imaginations here. A shepherd, a gentle soul with a long gown who walks slowly and carries a crook. That's what I think of when I think of a shepherd. The uniform that he wears and the the gait with which he walks. Well, David knew a different experience. Sheep weren't a sight from his vacation. They were a signature of his vocation. As a shepherd, he ran and he hit and he chased and he killed and he watched and he got dirty with his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd, he says. And the pairing of Lord and shepherd is really something staggering if we reflect on that just a bit to drill down farther on this first single claim. The Lord Yahweh, God's personal covenant name, which refers to his self-sufficiency and his self-existence. This is the God from all eternity who made the world and everything in it. I am that I am, the Lord Most High. The Lord Most High, identifying himself with a vocation of the most low. David was the youngest of his brothers. This job fell to him and sheep were dirty And they were dumb, and a shepherd lived among his sheep and slept with his sheep, night and day, ever watching, ever caring, ever with them. And by our Lord's gracious design, David's experience as a shepherd is his interpretive grid for his relationship with the Lord and how he understands the Lord. And by the Lord's gracious design, he's given this psalm to us so that we too might take on this image of a shepherd to understand our Lord and sheep ourselves. The Lord's inexhaustible resources are allocated to David's care and the Lord's inexhaustible resources are allocated to your care and to the care of our church. David knows it and he's sure of it and the Lord wants us sure of it this morning. That's the first claim. The Lord is my shepherd. Now a second claim. I shall not want I'm not sure which is bolder. This is the biggest lie ever told by any man, unless it's true. If for anything, we are wanting creatures, and it seems there are two ways humans deal with that. We either suppress desire, we say it's all bad, and maybe an illusion, religions are built around this idea of fixing the problem of desire by suppressing, ignoring, and plugging it, or others alternatively just say we should indulge it, we are what we want, our desires define us, and that's... That's the approach of our age and our our place, to identify our desires as our identity. Well, Christianity has a different answer. Ever since Genesis three, humans have been wanting and humans have a pretty bad track record of knowing what they want, but want isn't the problem. We also have a pretty good track record of making the problem worse. If I could only have fill in the blank, I shall not want what do you put in that blank if I could only have that I shall not want well that's your shepherd David's answer the Lord is my shepherd if I could only have the Lord I shall not want we can say this with David and we can mean it more every day from here through eternity we really can these claims start our psalm and they're worked out through our psalm and the rest of the psalm we find out how it is that the Lord is our shepherd and we find how it is that with David we can say I shall not want so here's our plan for the rest of the morning three stanzas in this psalm for three divisions of the text our sermon Uh, first our shepherd before us our shepherd alongside us and our shepherd across the table first our shepherd before us, verses one through three. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He's before us, leading, taking us somewhere. He leads, we follow. It's how shepherds and sheep work. Shepherds don't say in the morning, all right sheep, where are we going to go today? Uh, Because that's where we're going to go, whatever will make you happy. No, and that's because the shepherd knows where the cliffs fall off, and the shepherd knows where the coyotes hide, and he knows that though that path looks safe, it is a dangerous path. He leads, they follow, he's ahead. He leads because he knows better, and they follow on their good days and at their best because they instinctively know that he knows better. Well, what is it like to be led by this shepherd? We get a few answers. Verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now that's the right kind of pasture right there. We don't have much of these in the desert. That's why I'm moving to Greenville. Um, Of course, I love the desert very much. The terrain in Albuquerque from the air is beautiful. When you fly in, it's just parched brown and then you have this winding trail of green. Of course, that's the Rio Grande where the water is, green pasture. If Albuquerque had wild sheep population, if there's such a thing, if they're anywhere, uh, that's where they ought to be. But he does more than take us to green pastures. If you're like me and you read this, you kind of focus on the green pasture part of the the line. But he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Not, Not stand or merely go to or even eat, but to lie down in green pastures. Philip Keller, a pastor of people who was also a former shepherd of actual sheep, helps us out here. Here's what he says about making sheep lie down. It is almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they feel free of all fear. Because of the social behavior within a flock, sheep won't lie down unless they're free from friction with others of their kind. If tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when free of these pests can they relax. Lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. So sheep are not like my dog Bob from my childhood. I would say, Bob sit, and the dog would sit. Bob, lie down and the dog would lie down, not quite like that at all. Sheep require tremendous attention, care, and personal knowledge on the part of the shepherd for them to lie down, and so it is with us. Personal care, attention, and personal knowledge on the part of our shepherd. And friends, when I look at you, I see the work of the good shepherd to make his sheep lie down. I see men and women whose spouses have died, What heartache and you're here. I see men and women whose spouses uh, don't believe and that's difficult and we pray for them and you're here. And I see men and women who have endured great and various kinds of suffering, who have wrestled with various kinds of addictions, who have experienced bouts with cancer, themselves or in the family, loss of every kind and you are here. The Lord has made you to lie down. What a work of his grace. He also leads us by still waters. He makes us to lie down and he leads us by still waters, not raging waters, the still kind, the kind you can drink from and not get hurt. So the Lord provides his sheep with good food and with drink. And this takes skill to weave sheep in and out of green pasture and still water. They aren't always so close together like in Albuquerque. There are places in the world, I testify to you now, where water falls from the sky to water the earth and grass grows. and You don't need a river to accomplish it. And green pastures don't stay green when the sheep have their way with them. The shepherd calculates his move according to the weather and according to the needs and according to the nature of sheep. He knows sheep and his sheep specifically now a third thing he does he restores our soul here's a little break from the shepherding imagery for a moment the Lord is in the restoration business uh, Christian I've been searching for a home in South Carolina and uh, do I be like Drew Hodge and Ian Bird and find something I can fix up the re- answer is no no, I can't fix something in my house, let alone fix a house up. I have no skills there. Know yourself, they say. You might be into restoring homes. You buy a home and you know what to do: how to fix the flooring, pipes, rewire the electrical, whatever. Christy and I were in Wheaton a few years back, and she had a grandparents who uh, had a home there in Wheaton, gorgeous old home, and I uh, wanted to see it. Now, no doubt, however many years ago. It, it wasn't in great shape. It was a very old home. Uh, but now if you're to go buy it, it's gorgeous. Someone snatched it up, invested in it, restored it, and it's immaculate. It's a work of a restorer. Well, the Lord restores souls, and he knows what that involves, and he has exactly the right equipment. He's a craftsman, and he gladly takes on projects like you and like me. And good thing he does, for I know little about restoring a house, but I know nothing about restoring a soul. And he's at work in you if you're his child, restoring you. You may come to church and um, uh, feel like you're uh, without hope for a great restoration. You might feel like your uh, beams are rickety and the paint is still chipped Uh, This is where the Lord's work is with you. Uh, And you look around and think, look at all of these finished products. Well, in the first place, they're not as finished as you think. In the second place, where we do see God's work of restoration beautifully on display in the lives of others, we have hope that God is at work among his people. So take encouragement and don't be discouraged if your restoration project is at an early stage. Give yourself to his word and uh, he gives himself to you through it. Praise God we have a shepherd like this. What's it like to be led by this shepherd? Fourth thing, he leads me in paths of righteousness. A shepherd leads his sheep down the right paths and for us that means paths of righteousness, righteous paths. There are paths that look as good as any at the start but they lead in two opposite kinds of directions. There are other paths that look better than any at the start, but there is danger at the end and the shepherd knows and God knows the right paths. There are good paths and the Lord knows them and the sheep follow. Some examples, paths of sexual purity and marital fidelity. Paths of integrity in our business dealings. Paths of uh, this one's harder for me. Not letting your sun go down on your anger, holding your tongue. These come from God. These paths do, and He has worn them in for us. He built the world according to a certain structure, and He's revealed the code, if you will, to us—the cheat code for a successful, if you will, righteous life, not free of difficulty. But he has told us how to live and those paths are worth following and rejoicing in and entrusting our shepherd in. My friends, look at these sheep on the page. Oh, they're so well taken care of. How good must their shepherd be? Well, you can tell by looking at the sheep, they're in green pasture. He put them there. They drink from still waters. They, uh, you can't even find one of them lost. They're, none of them are left to die. And they're in green pasture lying down, not even merely eating, and why? Verse three, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's why, for his name's sake. He does not care for us begrudgingly. He does not even care for us merely for us. Yes, he holds us fast for he loves us so as we'll sing. And he does it for his name's sake. He cares for us because it is his highest delight to show off his great name. And when his sheep are well cared for, his name is magnified. Our good as his sheep magnifies his goodness as our shepherd. Think of the metaphor of a a loving mother who loves to be a good mother Or a dad who just loves being a dad. Well, our father revels in his identity as our father and he loves to see us well. And our doing well reflects his care. A picture-perfect scenario we've read so far. And yet, our lives and our church isn't exactly picture-perfect. This is beautiful. It's even serene. But our lives are not like a Thomas Kincaid painting. It's really more like his life, at least kind of. Thomas Kincaid ended his life in uh, addiction, an overdose, what sadness and tragedy. Well, if God's name is reflected in the care of his sheep, then what does my life at times say about his name? Where is our shepherd, in other words, when it's tough? When it doesn't feel like green pastures and safety? Well, will now see verse four, our shepherd alongside us a shepherd alongside us even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me you couldn't put your trial in more vivid language the valley of the shadow of death if you were to track with a shepherd and his sheep you would see them doing more than lying down and enjoying still waters. You would see them disappear into the dark, into valleys. Uh, You would see them in shadowy places, valleys where dark and fearful things lurk, valleys where predators and pits lie in wait, and valleys even where death stalks us, even where death lures us in, the shadows of the valley of death. Two months ago, I had the, the chance to uh, testify before the New Mexico House Health Committee on human dignity in connection with the suicide bill. Uh, one of you invited me to, to join you, and that was a blessing, a good experience for me. Learned some things. Uh, I just testified as a citizen and a pastor. New Mexico's a beautiful, beautiful state with such beautiful people. Uh, it's a dark state, too. It's known as the abortion, late-term abortion capital in our country, I believe still, and uh, it's no surprise this bill was up for discussion. There were about 10 of us who spoke in opposition, and there were maybe 40 who showed up to speak in support, person after person coming to the mic to speak of their experience of approaching death themselves, or a loved one in the face of death and dying. One man's wife had just died, another with late-stage Parkinson's, shared another with throat cancer near the end she would drown in her fluids soon a unitarian universalist and a jewish rabbi pastors of several races it seemed like there was one of everything in the room i figured out later that the support is highly funded organized and so these folks were uh, somewhat gathered vetted and helped Uh, but that doesn't take away the the reality of their actual experience in the face of death, which is horrifying. And it was gut-wrenching to listen to these souls describe their pain heading into death and the death of their loved ones. And they were pleading, please, please give me a choice. This sickness has taken everything from me. Don't take my choice to end my life when I'm ready. That's morally impermissible. Image bearers, whatever the state may say, do not have jurisdiction over one another in this way or over themselves. Physicians must care for their patients, human beings in death, but they must not treat human beings with death. And yet we can relate to the humanness of the moment in their cries. Some have made it their mission in life to achieve a more peaceful death. Ugh, how hopeless is that? There are no green pastures in the valley of the shadow of death. It's shadow there. Things don't live there. The sun does not reach there and it's full of dark and fearful things. Yet David writes, verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So if we really do have all kinds of things to fear and every reason to fear in the valley of the shadow of death, that's why it's called that, why not fear? And these folks had every reason to fear. Why not fear then? Why didn't David fear? Well he tells us, I will fear no evil, end of verse four, for you are with me. Well that's why, for you are with me. There is a way uh, to lead that does not go with. We think of uh, decision makers in the Pentagon, uh, make decisions all day that affect troops on the field, and it's fine and good. But that's not the kind of image that the Lord has given to us with which to understand His leadership. He's given us the image of a shepherd, and our shepherd goes with. And so we fear no evil, for He is with us, His rod and His staff. Comfort us, his rod for protection and defense to drive away trouble, and his staff for guidance and control. As sheep, we are really safe and secure anywhere with him. We're in danger anywhere without him. Uh, green pasture is not safe for long if the shepherd is not watchful or not present. And still waters are not safe for long if the shepherd is not watchful or if he's not there and we're all on our own the presence of the lord is of greater comfort than any threat is a threat to us and that's because the lord himself is stronger than any evil thing that threatens his sheep Indeed, we have a glory that cannot be compared to the sufferings of this present age, scripture tells us. Even the worst suffering at the end of life, yes, even drowning in our own fluid, a horrifying death, and there are horrifying deaths you have seen and that we know of and that we may face ourselves. And yet we have nothing to fear if the Lord is with us. That's what David's saying. There's that poem you might be familiar with, Footprints in the Sand, I've heard it many times and I have mixed feelings about the poem. No, I don't have mixed feelings about the poem. Uh, I don't like the poem. How about that? Uh, i being too nice. But there's something a little just too sentimental about it for me, a little too pretty for me, a little too serene. And maybe I'm just a dude and a long walk on the beach being cared by anybody doesn't really appeal. If you follow me or maybe i'm just onto something maybe maybe the footprints in the sand poem is an attempt to capture the message with all good intentions of psalm 23:4 but without the imagery of psalm 23:4 how about footprints in the mud or the ravine or the valley or the shadow how about footprints in the icu Or on the battlefield, that man I sat next to was a military vet and he said, I'm all screwed up. Footprints in that failed career, in that lonely house, in that strained relationship is the Lord with you. Or how about this, footprints in the delivery room as you hold your baby with only moments or days to live. I only know personally a very limited number of saints at Heritage Bible Church. I've had half an hour long conversations with maybe half a dozen. That's not much. We'll get more in in due time. Would you know that two of those have involved stories of an infant who died in their arms? And we have our stories here. Three come to mind of friends. Well, the Lord is with you in the valley of the shadow of a baby's death in the cold and cruel shadow of so much of life. There the Lord is with us, carrying us, if that's what it takes, carrying his sheep. So are you in the valley of the shadow of death? Or more importantly and more urgently, is the Lord with you? Is the Lord with you there? Because he's not with everyone. And how can you know if he's with you? Well, we have a few implied answers from the psalm so far. Do you know green pastures even in those difficulties? And do you know still waters? Do you know what lying down and being contented is? Well, here's another one. Do you fear? Do you fear death and its shadows? Years ago, a friend invited me to his father's funeral. Uh, We worked in a store together. His father had been in a few times, and we'd been acquainted. It was an honor to be at this gentleman's funeral. Uh, I went, and this psalm was read. Uh, And in an environment like that, if the gospel's not believed and the Lord isn't known, um, death just forces us to speak and to make some sense and meaning out of uh, tragedy and life. So psalms and scriptures are often read. It's interesting to hear how they're read where the gospel isn't believed. This one was read in a universalizing fashion. Psalm 23 was read and the minister said, see, he goes with us through the valley of the shadow of death. So it's like us is for everybody. So he's safe. Well, no, he's not if the Lord was not with him. And so there's no comfort in this psalm for the person for whom the Lord is not their comfort there is no hope for you if the lord is not lord to you and one of the ways you know that you're a christian is that you do not ultimately fear death that's the whole point of christianity so do you fear death and if so what do you do here's what you do join us in entrusting yourself to this good shepherd in life and in death Look with us to his hands where he carries his rod and his staff for protection and guidance and also where in the person of Christ he also carried a nail and in carrying that nail carried your guilt and your shame and your sin. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, we find out what kind of shepherd we've entrusted our life to when we come to this valley of the shadow of death itself. Uh, Can your shepherd go with you? Can your shepherd protect you? Can your shepherd lead you into the very presence of a holy God so that you stand safe and welcome? Does he stay back or does he go with? Does he stand before the great enemy of death with an answer? Death may take your baby and it will take you one day. The Lord doesn't tarry, but if the Lord is with you, you have no reason to fear. For he has gone there, that is to death, and he has killed it and ended it for us. That's how committed he is to leading his sheep to safe pasture. The Lord, Jesus, secures his sheep at all cost. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. That's how Jesus put it. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Wolves steal, kill, and destroy. Hired hands flee. They're in it for the buck. But Jesus is no hired hand. He lays his life down for his sheep to take their sin and their guilt and their condemnation to free them to stand before the Lord, accepted into his presence forever. Because his sheep are worth it, and he loves them. As he says, I am the good shepherd, that itself, a claim to be the Lord himself, the prophets promised The Lord through the prophets promised that he would come himself to be the shepherd of his people and to gather his people and to care for them and to save them. And when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's saying, I am the Lord come to save. And that's why you have nothing to fear even in the ICU as you face death. Listen to David's wild-eyed confidence. He is sure this is his Lord. And that this Lord keeps him safe. And as you lay there and as you get the news that you've got so many days, weeks, or years left, you too can be sure that you are safe in death. There is much to say goodbye to in this life. There are good reasons to cry. Uh, The Lord has blessed us with so many things and we see that more clearly when our days are numbered. But you do not have to stare into the face of death and fear. And this kind of fear fearlessness in the face of death is perplexing and mesmerizing to a watching world and evidence that the Lord is who he says he is and so I hope that you have hope this morning and even trusted yourself to Christ so today this week this year as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death look from there to the one who hung on a hill outside Jerusalem under the cloud in the shadow that day. And even thank him for the valley, dare I say, that made you to trust him more. And suffering's good at that, isn't it? There are things you just can't know about God until you suffer and you find that he is there with you in it. And you force your eyes to the cross to see where he suffered to save you ultimately from it. How lavish is our Lord? Oh, plenty, plenty lavish. But we're not done yet. We know that the Lord is more than a seatbelt. He does more than just uh, keep us safe through death. He leads us to green pastures and to still waters and he restores our soul. He comforts us. But it gets better. See how personally and intimately invested he is here. The depth of his companionship is greater than the shepherding imagery and relationship can bear. So as I read, you can either imagine a shepherd and a sheep at a dinner table sitting there or you sitting there across the table from the Lord. But we need another image. See now our shepherd across the table. Verses five and six. Let's read it together. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well in this Psalm, the first and second parts of the Psalm we've read um, ring true to me on first read. I just get them. This third part, and this is often the case with the Psalm, I go, eh, I could just read, you know, two thirds of the way through and you know be done there. This last part, um, you know, the shepherd imagery a little more accessible to me. This requires some reflection, but It isn't that obscure and it is in fact the climax of what he said. Look at what he's doing. The Lord is eating with us. He's spread a table for a meal to share with you in salvation. And he's no disinterested host. It's not a bed and breakfast. He's at a dining table, a symbol of intimacy and closeness and companionship and friendship. If you thought the imagery of a shepherd was loving and caring and tender and helpful, Here is an image of one across the table from you sharing a meal, lavishing his riches upon us. He anoints our head with oil and our our cup, it overflows. It's a celebration. And consider where this meal takes place. Verse five, in the presence of my enemies, that's where. And so this is a victorious king and this is a victory meal. David probably has in mind his flight from Absalom and speaking here about enemies. So much of David's life on the run and hiding under a a hunted hunted, uh, operation. And here he's fleeing from his own son who formed a coup to overthrow his kingship. He's leaving the city and he's hiding in caves. What a hard time. David is saying in the midst of that flight, in the midst of that threat, that the Lord is across the table from him, spreading a table in the midst of his enemies. That's perspective. And in the, in the midst of absolute and total vulnerability, get this, we can know absolute and total comfort. For our Lord is a warrior shepherd, a fighter, and he does not just walk around in a gown with a crook, he's a warrior. He runs, he hits. He attacks ferociously and he always wins and his cross and his resurrection are proof. So that even as Absalom follows hard after David, he can say in verse six, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. Sin and death and the devil will not follow you forever but goodness and mercy will. Goodness and mercy will follow my family all the way to Greenville and that move is no trial though saying hi, but goodbye to you is Very difficult. And goodness and mercy will follow you around here wherever you go for as long as you live. He has enough. We entrust your care to him. And what more could we want than that? Well, nothing. It's impossible to want more than the Lord if we actually know we need him. And that's the secret, to know that we were actually made for just this, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and to know him in this kind of an intimate way. David is banking his whole life here on the run He's making his whole life and future on the promise of God, the covenant promise of God that his son would sit on his throne forever and ever and ever and there'd be an eternal kingdom. What was in his imagination fueled him here, the promises of God. And so the promises of God fuel us as well through every difficulty. And we look forward to the day when his revelation says, at the end of our Bibles, together we shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, Well, shoot! That's never happened. Oh, this is the worst. Um, And I don't even have the reference, folks. That's embarrassing. Well, that's the last sermon, so you know. See you later. (laughs) The Lord in the midst of His throne, the Lamb in the midst of His throne, our Shepherd. A shepherd king is what we have to look for. And in Revelation, you get these beautiful confluences and combinations of multiple images throughout the whole Bible in a stack. He's the lamb in the midst of his throne who is the shepherd who leads us to springs of living water. We have all that to look forward to where the Lord will wipe every tear from our eyes. He's so good, trust him. It's been a pleasure. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for this word. We thank you for these very great promises and uh, the, the gift of this image of a shepherd to us. We, we may imagine you other ways that are appropriate as a, as a rock, as a king, uh, but to imagine you as a shepherd is a, a great thought indeed and we need it and it's why you've given it to us. And it's for good reason that Psalm 23 is known as it's known. Father, I pray that we would know Psalm 23 not just as those who, I don't know, grew up in a world where it's read around a bit, at funerals of all kinds, but as those who know the Lord, as those who know you, as those who trust you, and those who are your sheep and who follow you as our good shepherd. We thank you for the Lord Jesus and for his death where he laid his life down for his sheep because he cared for us that much. He's the one who comes to gather his sheep, the savior of his sheep, and the one who carries them and the will wipe away their tears. In Christ's name we pray, amen.